This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where people from our firm share their insights on developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Just like any industry you can name, technology shifts over the last decade have allowed new entrants to pop up in the consumer credit space. At the same time, consumers are thinking differently about how they access and use credit. Here to speak to us about this changing landscape is Harriet Talwar, who joined Goldman Sachs last year to lead Goldman's effort to incubate its own online consumer financial business. That new business is called Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Harriet, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. Harriet, you've worked in the consumer credit business for 30 years, and most recently with a focus on credit cards. Size that market for us. What does the consumer business look like today? How does the credit card fit into it? And just tell us what the opportunity is there for businesses and for consumers. Sure, Jake. To use the often repeated statement that the consumer is a very important part of the U.S. economy. And for the consumer to be a very important part of the U.S. economy, consumer credit is a very important part of the U.S. economy. And the U.S. consumer credit market is roughly around $12 trillion. And the way I like to look at it is there are various ways to describe that market. But I like to look at it in terms of this purpose-driven borrowing, and then there is other unsecured borrowing. What I mean by purpose-driven borrowing is you need to buy a house, you take a mortgage. You need to buy an automobile, you take a car loan. You need to go to college, you take a student loan. So a very large part of the U.S. consumer credit market the is vast majority of the it. vast majority of it is in these three segments. Mortgage is the big, big segment. Then there's roughly around a trillion dollars in automobile loans. There's roughly a trillion dollars in student loans, a little more than a trillion dollars. And there's a trillion dollars in what I would call unsecured consumer borrowing which means that it can be for variety of purposes and there is no collateral. So in the mortgage and auto loan, there are collaterals. In the student loan, again, there is no collateral, but it is for a very specific purpose. And the government plays a big role in and that And the market. government plays a big role in that market. In fact, most of the student loan market today is through government loans. There are uh, just a handful of private student loan lenders. Then there is a trillion dollar of unsecured consumer credit, which can have multiple purposes. In the US, most of that market is on credit cards. And there are some people who use the credit card as a payment mechanism. They purchase everything on a credit card. At the end of the month, they get a bill. And then they pay the bill in time, in full. And that's a really great deal for the consumer because they get free float. Right. Free, uh, free they, money over time and no free, interest. Rate. Free money over time, no if, interest. As long as you pay your bills. As long as you pay your bill in full on time. And in addition, you get lots of rewards to use the card, whether cash back or miles or points, etc. So a great deal for the consumer. Not perhaps that good a deal for the credit card companies. Not a great business to yeah. give out free money and not charge for yeah. it. But the card industry does that because while a large percentage of customers are the ones which I just described, which in the industry parlance is called transactors, then there are some who are unable to pay the bill because something happened. They had an unanticipated expenditure. 
you must have read the Federal Reserve came up with a report that if the average American household has $400 of unanticipated expenditure, about half of them would need to borrow that $400, that $400 yeah. to manage their cash flow that month. Right. So if they have an unanticipated expenditure, they're going to finance it. They're going they're to usually going to finance it on their credit card. They're usually going to finance it on the credit card. And the credit card financing is very helpful, very useful, because yeah. if it wasn't there, it would be problematic for the consumer. It would be problematic for the economy. And it is on that borrowing that the credit card company makes overwhelming part of their profit. So it is around a third of the customers who provide the huge profit pool for the credit card companies. And these are the people who are paying typically rates in the high teens? It can be anywhere 20s. from 15% to 25% interest rate in current cost of funds environment. Right. Now, that's fine. They borrow, then they can pay back next month or they can pay back over a period of time. They've got a flexibility to pay back. What then typically happens is that maybe three months, six months later, something else happens. There's a leak in the roof. The younger kid needs braces. The washing machine broke down. So normal life moments happen. And there is today in America, large number of households who have around 10, 20, $30,000 of credit card debt. And these are not people who've been living life irresponsibly. These are not people who- They're people who have income, decent credit, but debt. Yes. So that trillion dollar of unsecured consumer credit primarily on the credit card, has been built like this. There are lots of companies, fintech players, some banks, are looking at how to help those Americans manage that debt better. And, and provide better solutions than and what be currently provide exists. provide better solutions than what currently exists. But talk a little bit about how the industry's evolved. What does that signal about the future of the consumer finance industry? And talk maybe a little bit about the new entrants into the industry. There are lots of developments happening. One is that within the credit card industry, a lot of focus is on payment transaction processing. Mobile payments are coming in. Chip cards have been introduced in the US for added security. The Apple pays, the Google pays, and the Samsung pays. And so therefore, a large focus of the credit card industry is using technology for better payment processing and more convenience and security for customers in payments and using the card as a payment vehicle. That's been a big innovation in the industry. Yes, I think it is focused more on more convenience and choices for the consumer and more security for the consumer. What happens to the cost, we'll see. The other trend overall is that in general, technology has always been a very key enabler in financial services. ATMs got introduced. We tend to forget of them as an innovation. Unfortunately, when you've been in the industry as long as I have, I remember ATMs being heralded as innovation. Phone banking was an innovation. At the dawn of the internet in around 2000, being able to do your banking on the internet was an innovation. So the technology innovation has continued to increase. I think what's been very exciting in this arena of borrowing has been that over the last few years, while the card companies have been focused on payment processing, there have been a lot of colloquially called fintech lenders who have leveraged technology to provide a better borrowing experience for the consumers. 
and there have been lots and lots of companies which have come up over the last few years which have used technology to make the borrowing easier their whole business model is that consumers who've racked up a lot of credit card debt but who are credit worthy responsible hard working americans they are refinancing that credit card debt at lower rates and they're able to do that because unlike a credit card business which is balancing the people who are not borrowing and the people who are borrowing for an average yield on the loans these companies have only customers who borrow and therefore so they're not providing free float to two thirds of their customers they are not providing free float well said to two thirds of their customers and therefore those who want to borrow they are able to get generally at the same comparable risk bands lower interest rates when they take a personal loan from these fintech lenders and they can use that personal loan to refinance their higher interest credit card debt tell us a little bit about what goldman has just introduced what's it called how does it work and why is now the right time for goldman sachs to be entering the consumer lending space we at the firm feel that there is a confluence of a few things which has made us decide to get into this business one is that digital technology is making large brick and mortar branches questionable you don't need necessarily brick and mortar branch networks to get into consumer financial services or consumer lending why wait in line when i can do it on my phone why wait in line when i can do it on the phone the traditional distribution strengths in my view which some of the large banks have from distribution strength have become legacy costs customers don't like it frankly i don't think most of the banks like it but they have it so that's one big trend second is that there's a lot of data and analytics available it has always been available us is at the cutting edge of that in the world to get a better sense of the credit profile better sense the, of the of credit the borrower. profile and in fact it enables you to do programmatic lending rather than judgmental lending and that has always been there but it has made more strides and become more sophisticated the other is as you know in 2008 we became a bank here at goldman yes, here at yeah, goldman yeah. therefore we have our own balance sheet and we have our own funding leveraging risk management data analytics and technology has always been in our dna we saw this consumer trend of how they consume financial services there is this market emerging of refinancing high interest credit card debt so we felt that the confluence of all this gives us an opportunity to enter this market our services are branded as marcus by goldman sachs in a slight allusion to one of the founders yes, of the firm yes as you as you know marcus goldman is the person who founded the firm 147 years ago and he founded it on the principles of innovation and client centricity and execution excellence and frankly every business that the firm has done since then including this business that we are launching now follows the same thing about client centricity adding value execution excellence so in many ways while we are a startup inside a 147 year old firm we are proud that there are some things which we cherish which is part of our heritage so we've just started it's an unsecured personal loan not a credit card though no it is not a credit card it is a loan it is unsecured it ranges from $3500 to $30000 
it is from two years to six years. So as you will see from the amount of $3,500 to $30,000, Jake, we are really offering our product to a broad set of customers in the U.S. People think that individuals can't bank at Goldman Sachs. And we recently purchased a deposit platform where our minimum account size is $1. And that's, again, a web-only bank. That's web-only. You and can sign up online, but you can't find a branch. You or can't a find ATM. a branch, or you can't find a Goldman Sachs branded ATM. And so, this is the next step in a digital consumer financial services. So, you've talked a lot about how the traditional credit card companies have evolved in this space and what their business looks like. You talked a little bit about the fintech startups, and you talked about the consumers that are veiling themselves to these opportunities. What's the Goldman product for? Who is that aimed at? And where do we see ourselves in the marketplace? First, I would say that this is a very large market. We are not looking at any dominant market shares. We like the fact that it's a very large market, and we want to be patient. You have to be responsible. You can make mistakes, especially in a lending business. The firm tends to be long in the businesses it gets into, so we are going to do a gradual ramp up. And what we really like is that, given that the market is large and deep, small market shares over time can result in good-sized businesses, and it's over time. So we like that fact of the market. And the market's not going away anytime soon. And it's going to be big, growing, and lots of opportunities. Yes, and we think there's going to be secular growth in this market, and whether you are there six months sooner or six months later or one year sooner or one year later is not what ultimately is going to be the defining characteristics for success. What I do think is helpful for us to compete in this market space is that we don't have, unlike the large banks, legacy distribution costs. We don't have legacy technology systems. And we don't have legacy business models, which we are concerned about cannibalization or implications to those. On the other hand, unlike some of the pure play fintech players, we have our own balance sheet and we have a DNA of risk management. So I think this unique combination of having our balance sheet and a DNA of risk management, and on the other hand, having no legacy business models, technology, or distribution systems, gives us a rare combination of strengths. Now, our task is to convert those strengths into better value for the customer and better experience for the customer. And that's really what we've been focused on. And we think we can help Americans who have been responsible but have landed up into very high interest, unsecured consumer debt on their credit cards. And so because we don't have the legacy costs and because we have the ability to fund it ourselves, unlike the fintechs, we don't need to go out and find someone to fund the loan. We should be able to provide ready capital, easy capital, and also be able to provide it at a somewhat lower cost without any of the legacy systems. Correct. There are a few examples in the product we therefore were able to do. We don't have, unlike a lot of fintech players, we don't have any origination fee which we charge to the customer. Then we also don't have a prepayment fee. So if you somehow you want to pay your cash flow improves, you don't want to be paying this interest rate, you can pay it off tomorrow. You can pay it off tomorrow. And I must say that no penalty for prepayment is becoming generally a more standard feature in the industry. But then we went a step ahead. Sometimes customers get late on their payment. So we also don't have a late fee. 
And the reason is because it's not that we want to encourage people to pay late. No. In fact, if they pay late, they will pay more interest and there may be other negative implications such as being reported late to the credit bureau. And we let them know that. What we do have is a feature which we think is unique in the market where after making 12 or more consecutive on-time monthly payments, they can defer a payment as long as they have made all their prior payments in full and on time. They earn a free pass, so to say. And what that pass does is that if there is a particular month where they have a cash flow problem, they can defer payment by a month without having to pay any extra interest. So in fact, we have provided incentives for on-time payment. But if someone finds themselves in the situation where they can't pay one month, they're not paying an additional fee on top of the additional interest? No additional fee on top of the additional interest. And the main reason for that is that our research shows consumers are very skeptical of asterisks. They are very skeptical of the claim, fine print. Fine print. They are very skeptical of somebody saying no origination fee, but there are other fees. Or somebody saying, no prepayment fee, but there are other fees. Or there are some people who say, no hidden fees. So we have put a claim in our product saying, no fees, period. Beyond the interest rate. Beyond the interest rate. Right. The other thing is that in this loans that we have, not only there is no penalty for prepayment, the interest rate is fixed during the life of the loan. So you talked a little bit about what you've learned from doing all the consumer research and, and you used feedback from potential customers to design the website. What did you learn other than the things you've already discussed from the consumer and from all the research you've done? Lots of learnings from consumers. First is consumers, and I think this is a phenomenon which has become even more pronounced since 2008. They want transparency. In fact, they don't necessarily want speed but they want simplicity right. because they feel that when things are not simple, they have lost control because the financial services companies understand it and they don't understand it. So therefore, I think the basics are you have to provide value, you have to be transparent, you have to be simple, and you have to allow consumers to to the extent possible, customize things to their liking. Right. And I think the technology today allows you to do that. That's a feature you didn't necessarily talk about, but one of the, as I understand it, one of the features you're doing is allowing people to really design the payment period. That Correct. They, if they took a loan out through Marcus, yeah. they can choose how many months. Yes. So one of our very interesting insights was that everybody in the industry markets loan amount and interest rate. Consumers, as you were mentioning earlier, think in terms of cash flow. So they think of loan amount and how much monthly payment I can afford, based on which we offer them different periods. So therefore, for somebody, it may be a 31-month loan. For somebody, it may be a 22-month loan. For somebody, it may be 63-month loan. Whereas most banks and fintech players say it's either two year or three year or five, five years, year or six year. So, you know, the customer feels that they're put into a straight jacket. The other thing is 
we tend to forget that for most of us, which day of the month we want to pay the bill is a big deal. Therefore, the customer can decide which day of the month they want their bill to be paid. So you're saying one of the features mm -hmm. you've designed in response to this customer research is just this ability to customize, the yeah. ability to personalize it, which we see in a lot Correct. of other industries today yes. with new apps and new products. Correct, absolutely. The other big insight was that consumers feel very uncomfortable talking about debt. There is a stigma around debt. People are almost willing to talk about anything before they want to talk about debt. They feel uncomfortable, they feel embarrassed talking about debt. And does that make it harder for them to manage their debt? That makes it harder for them to manage their debt. That makes it harder for them to understand what is happening in their credit score. How does their credit score impact things? And if you look, most of the industry doesn't use the word debt. And therefore, we want to use the word debt. We think we'll play a useful role with our customers by talking about debt. So we want to destigmatize the conversation around debt. And managing your way out of it. Yes. Yeah. So we want to talk about how debt happens and how you can manage debt and how you can get out of debt and how you need to understand debt. So I think they want value. They're uncomfortable about debt. The other big insight we got was that while digital is very important, when they need to call, they want to talk to a human being. They want technology in their app. But when they call the provider, they don't, they don't want, want technology. technology. Mm -hmm. They don't want a robot. They don't want press one, press two, press three. So therefore, what we have done is that in our call center, people immediately talk to a human being. It also puts the onus on the, the product to be transparent enough that you don't need to call. Yes, typically. but when you do call, you will always talk to a human being, no machines. And that was a big learning that the more savvy customers become digitally, the more when they want to call, they want to speak to a human being. Interesting. Talk a little bit about running a startup. You called it a startup. Inside a 147-year-old institution with other types of businesses, other types of people. What's the personal experience been like? And why didn't Goldman just, instead of incubating this business, why didn't we just buy one that was already out there on the market? It's been a, a lot of fun. And doing a startup inside the firm, which is 147 years old, and not any firm, but Goldman Sachs, has a lot of pros and has some cons. I think the employment brand of the firm is very strong. So we've been able to assemble a very, very multifaceted, talented team. What's the percentage from inside the firm and outside the firm? Yeah. When we started, we thought we will have almost everybody from outside the firm. But this initiative has had such high profile and excitement in the firm that we now have anywhere from 30 to 40% of our team from within the firm. And the firm has such deep pools of talent, you know, in technology, finance, marketing, site development, product experience, and encourages mobility, that we've been able to hire a lot of people within the firm. I think the real con is that until you join the firm, you don't realize how heavily scrutinized we are by everybody in the world. That's fine because, you know, we are a well-known firm, we are a well-known brand, and I have worked We have in, a big footprint. We have a big footprint. I have worked in financial services for 30 years. I've worked for a very large bank. I've worked for a medium-sized bank. But I don't think I've ever worked in a place which is as heavily scrutinized by everybody outside the firm as we are. 
So that increases the burden of making sure you do everything right. Looking ahead, how can we expect, not just Goldman's footprint, but how can we expect finance and technology to converge, particularly in this consumer space? For too long, the financial services industry has thought of itself as we will give financial services to the customer. The power now is on the consumer side. They will choose financial services. They can choose every day how to pay. They can choose every day how they pay. You get up in the morning and you choose between 10 different apps which car service you will take to get to work. Consumers will be more empowered. When consumers can avail of services through their phone, and that phone is in their pocket or their handbag, it gives them a sense of empowerment. When consumers have to walk to a branch, they lose that sense of empowerment. So consumers will not walk to a branch because that is the bank's turf. It is not the consumer's turf. Consumers will not necessarily call because then they have to wait in line to be called, to be phone picked up. Consumers will use their mobile apps because that gives them not just convenience, it gives them a subliminal sense of empowerment. And I think banks and financial services companies which keep that in mind will be able to serve the consumers better. It's a great way to end it. Thank you, Harry. Thank you very much, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. I'm Jake Seward. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time. This podcast was recorded on August 17, 2016. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. The information contained in this podcast was prepared for general information purposes only, does not constitute research, advice, or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener, and is not a substitute for personalized financial advice. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Goldman Sachs and its affiliates expressly disclaim any liability, including any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage for this podcast and its content.